want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I wanna hear it. I wanna read it. I wanna bit of shelf indulgence. I wanna hear it. I wanna read it. I wanna bit of shelf indulgence. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shelf Indulgence. Um, tonight, uh, today, Wendy and I are going to be talking to you about the hunting party. Um, by Lucy Foley, but we've also got a few new features to add to the show. Uh, now that we're on the airwaves, we thought we'd add a few segments to the show that are going to be appearing weekly. The first of which is one we've already done and is called Poetry Corner. So we're going to start off today's show with a poem. Now, when the I found this poem um, through my job as a private tutor, um, and it's actually on this year's GCSE um, curriculum for uh, students all across the country and from their Unseen Poetry Collection. And it's by a poet called Jean Sprackland, who is a Bertonian. Uh-huh. And it's called Hard Water. So here we go. I tried the soft stuff on holiday in Wales, a mania of tea drinking and hair washing, excitable soap which never rinsed away. But I loved coming home to this. Flat, straight, like the vowels, like the straight talk. Hey up, me duck. I'd run the tap with its swimming pool smell, get it cold and anaesthetic. Stand the glass and let the little fizz of anxiety settle. Honest water, bright and not quite clean. The frankness of limestone, of gypsum. The sour steam of cooling towers. The alchemical taste of brewing. On pitiless nights, I had to go for the bus before last orders. I'd turn up my face, let rain scold my eyelids and lips. It couldn't lie. Fell thick with a payload of acid. No salt. This rain had forgotten the sea. I opened my mouth, speaking nothing in spite of my book learning. I let a different cleverness wash my tongue. It tasted of work, the true taste of early mornings, the blunt taste of don't get mardy, of too bloody deep for me. Fierce, lovely water that marked me for life as belonging, regardless. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. And so relevant, um, isn't it? Because um, we have debates about our water all the time. We live in Horcross. We have had debates about our water all the time. I absolutely love that. I remember as a child going on holiday to North Wales and my sister used to refuse to drink the water. Yeah. Yeah, it tastes funny. Mm. And we'd, we'd go to visit friends. We'd got friends that lived in Brighton. We'd go down there to visit, and they'd make a cup of tea, and I'd go, it tastes wrong. And, and it's, then, it's what you're used to, isn't it? Yeah. Because we used to live in Birmingham, and the water from Birmingham comes from the Elan Valley in Wales, um, and it's soft water. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, literally, you don't, you, you, your kettle never scales up, your washing machine always works perfectly, you don't need to use as much washing powder or comfort to, to wash your clothes. There is a difference with soft water. So when we came here, um, the, I mean, the difference was really marked. I just love that. I love that she's turned it into a feature almost. I really do. And, mm -hmm. and being a local lass as well. Yeah, and also that that um, the way she parallels the flavour of the water to the flavour of the language to yeah. the to the to the distance from the sea to that don't get mardy, mm. you know it's it's so Bertonian, so us as a as I am a. Bertonian born and brewed so you know it, it spoke spoke volumes to myself I'm sure it did I'm sure it did I um, love the colloquialisms in it I think it's really good thanks for sharing that Jim that's lovely my pleasure right um so let's start talking about Lucy Foley and we'll talk a little bit about Lucy and then we'll come back and we'll break up the discussion of Lucy Foley with our segment as we as we go yeah. So, the hunting party. Now, Lucy is a completely new author to myself. I don't think you've read her either, have you? No, no, I'd never read her before either. No. Um, and I know that we always, you know, the old adage is that you should never judge a book by its cover, but it was very much the striking cover of this book that drew me to it. Absolutely. I mean, it is. Um, it's bright yellow. Um, it has. Um, a stag's antlers and skull on the front. Um, it, so this black and this uh, black and yellow against the yellow background, incredibly eye catching. Um, and if I'm honest, I think it was that that drew me to it as well. Um, so uh, initial when I looked at the back again, it it was the sort of thing that would draw me in in a remote hunting lodge deep in Scottish wilderness. Old friends gather for New Year. <clears throat> the beautiful one, the golden couple, the volatile one, the new parents, the quiet one, the city boy and the outsider, the victim. Not an accident, a murder amongst friends. So, you know, it's it's very staccato in terms of that back, uh, the back notes. Um, but there was enough in there to draw me in. So I added it to my pile while I was in Waterstones and... Um, and uh, it's taken me a while to get round to it. We've both been drawn to it for about the same reason. We've both been drawn in as well by what's on the back cover with its allusions to murder mystery and thriller and the sort of things that both of us enjoy reading. Yeah. And I mentioned briefly in last week's show that at the start, Lucy uses one of my favourite devices where she gives you that snippet of the end and then changes time period. Yeah. Um, which is actually a device that she continues to use throughout the book, so well, as far as I've got. Yes, um, she it, she does flick back towards um, the event of finding a body. So you know right from the word go that there's a victim, although you don't know who it is. So we're halfway through the book. We still are not 100% sure who who the who the body is no and it's very cleverly done in the way that she writes that i think yeah what did you think to the use of that technique um i think it's it's a great device 
it's a little bit obvious as a device, but it's a great device to build up some tension. So it keeps you guessing. Um, and so it, in a way, it should appeal to me because what it ensures is that you've got skin in the game doesn't it right from the word go you know that there's a victim and it's it she keeps you guessing about who that is and what might have happened um so i do like that because uh for me that is the sort of device that is likely to keep me page turning I have to say, though, one of the things I struggled with with Lucy's writing is that it's quite a big cast um, of main characters. It is. So, um, and she introduces them only by name. And it's taken me probably, I am, I'm easily halfway into the book, if not slightly over. And it's taken me until now to be able to identify my mind when I see the name of the chapter, the character who is narrating the chapter. Um, it's taken me till now to be able to position that person in terms of which character they are. I'm I don't know still, whether you've I'm, had the same issue. I'm still struggling with it. Right. With the exception of the two characters who aren't mentioned on the back of the book. Yes. Yeah. Now, that, that in itself I found quite interesting because the, the concept of this is something that, you know, it's not, it's not a new device. It's a group are locked away in some way. They're isolated. It's something that authors have used time and time again. Yeah. You take a group, you isolate them, and therefore we know that one of, one of that group has to be the guilty party. But something that she doesn't mention at all, because on the back of this book, when she talks about these individuals, she neglects to mention that they're not alone, actually. There are two other characters. Now, yeah. the way that this group are isolated is that they have, they have a tradition, this group of friends, of going away every New Year's as a group. And on this occasion, um, one member of the group has organised them to visit a hunting lodge in Scotland, in a remote part of the Scottish wilderness. And during New Year's, there is exceptionally bad snow, and they are cut off and isolated from the rest of the world. Now, I know in our previous conversations, Wendy, um, you're you're a creature comforts gal. Yeah. So how does the thought of moving or visiting such an isolated remote location sit with you? Um, I I absolutely love this because Scotland is one of my favourite destinations. I love the isolation. Um, I love the scenery, the magnificence of Scotland up in the Highlands. So uh, this is a book that absolutely I should, um, I should just want to sink into because it's got all of the things that I would look for. It's also got the fact that the lodge that they're staying in isn't a, a traditional sort of um lodge house of a of a Scottish castle. It actually is a ultra modern architect designed and built um house with lodge with um with sort of little lodges around the other um living quarters for the residents. Um and it's got all of those creature comforts. So for me, 
I mean, I can imagine myself um, in this, you know, almost as one of the cast. Um, so I thought the setting was particularly well done. Um, and I do like the way she describes the the place, uh, the building itself and how it's situated and how it sits in the landscape. I love that. That was the sort of detail that I really, um, it, it sort of brought the book to life for me. Yeah, I love the description she gives. One of the characters describes the, uh, the main, the lodge centre where they all gather to eat as being like a UFO landed on the lock side. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things that the character, because the characters, the main cast, are all city types, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Um, and the thought of being without Wi-Fi, you know, absolutely amazes them. Yeah. But one of the things that is immediately brought up is we've got these two characters, Heather and Doug. Heather is the manageress, the hostess of the lodge. Yeah. And Doug is the gamekeeper and Gilly, who yes. takes the customers hunting if they wish to go so. Yeah. Um, and quite early on in the story, we have the, the thought immediately dropped into us of what makes somebody choose to live there full time. Yes. Because to go on a holiday, I mean, I would imagine you and I could go for a fortnight's holiday in this lodge, be cut off from the rest of the world. And as long as we've got a decent supply of food, booze and books, we'd hope, you know, we'd probably not even talk to each other very much. Um, but, you know. No, that's absolutely right. What else would you need? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas these individuals choose to live there full-time, all year round? And what makes somebody make the choice of going to somewhere so remote, so isolated, where there are very few people apart from these visiting guests? I mean, it, what what it made me think about this was the fact that... Um, and and if, you, if you go up to Scotland and you spend lots of holidays... We've been holidaying up there for more than 20 years. And one, one of the things that you realise is that there are people who genuinely go who love that solitude and who love the fact that you can't get Wi-Fi and who love being able to just um, let go of a modern life and just be in, in, in the landscape. Um, you also get townies who go up um, who have to have all the luxuries, who have to have the connections, who have to have the shopping so you know, if if there's if they're not close enough to a shopping complex, they start to get the jitters. So you, you do see that, and and she describes that incredibly well. Um, one of the things it's making me think is that this these holidays tend to be booked by one or other of the parties. So it's never everybody's choice. Somebody will choose and book it, and everybody else just turns up. And at, right at the beginning of the book, they describe the journey and they get into the um, they go up by train. They get into the tiny little railway station that is uh, that is the stopping off point for this lodge. And then when the gilly, when Doug picks them up in the Land Rover, um, breaks the news to them 
that actually um, by the time they hit the edge of the property where they're going, it is still an hour's drive to get to the lodge. So this is a place that is ultra isolated, absolutely, you know, the back of beyond. Um, and th that's been chosen by one individual. And I am sort of coming round to the idea that, that actually she chose this place for a reason. Well, yes, I think there is something to that. And we'll come to that shortly when we come back to Lucy Foley. I think I would like to bring in one of our uh, new segments now, uh, just to break up the conversation slightly. Um, and now, as we've been doing this show now for ooh, a year and a half, mm -hmm. and, um, a constant um, unseen character on the show has been Granny, my yes. guy. Yes. Now, as, God bless your gran. Yeah, as regular listeners will know, um, we read ourselves quite prolifically. We we read a lot of, and we read often. But my gran is the next level. Now, if you could be a professional reader, my gran would be up there. And since Christmas, she's read one, two, three, four, five, six books. Um, so, you know, and that, you know, it was a busy time Christmas. She was visiting and socialising, but she still managed to squeeze in six books. Um, so that our, our new segment is going to be called What's Granny Read? And we're not going to go into any great detail about these books, but just to um, increase the number of books that are mentioned on the show and to perhaps give you a brief taste of certain books that are out there and you might want to choose to read. So for Christmas, I bought my, my gran The Santa Claus Murder, which mm. I found in Wardstones in there. Uh, they'd got a display of Christmassy murder books. Um. And this is a, a classic. Um, it's one of the golden age of crime fiction books. Yeah. Now, I know you've read this one yourself, haven't you, Wendy? I have, yes, yeah. And Gran highly rated it. And I think, actually, it's one of those books that, for me, um, I would say has reminded me, I mean, I've not had a chance to read it myself, but by talking to Gran about it and a brief conversation with you about it, it's reminded me that there really was a golden age of crime fiction. And although that Agatha is without doubt the queen of crime fiction, there are a lot of other authors of that genre and of that time period, of that golden age, that are worth a visit, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Um, and this is one of those classic ones, you know, the sort of, um, it's the party in the country house sort of um, formula. And and I know that some people talk about one of their criticisms of this sort of uh, literature is that it's formulaic. But, you know, and, and, and to a degree it is, but you have to say some things just work. And and even though it is formulaic, um, it doesn't make it predictable. And, and I think people need to need to give it a go. If they're worried that you've read one, you've read them all. That's absolutely not true. And I think that this one is a classic example of that. 
Now, she also received um, quite a few other books for Christmas because everyone knows she's a prolific reader. Um, and our own Emily bought her a book called The Sinner by Caroline England for Christmas. Um, now, The Sinner uh, is claims that it has a twist that I didn't see coming. Um, every saint has a past to the unsuspecting eye. Dee Stevens has a perfect life as the vicar's wife, a devoted marriage to her charismatic husband, Reverend Vincent, an adoring congregation and a beautiful daughter. But beneath the surface, Dee is suffocating. Vincent is in control and he knows her every sin. Desperate, Dee escapes into a heady affair with Cal, an old schoolmate. But is Cal the saviour she thinks he is? What dark secrets does he harbour? And to what lengths will Vincent go when he uncovers the truth? Now, Gran said this was, for her, just an absolute roller coaster thriller because it kept her going all the way through. Now, I don't want to talk much more about a lot of the other books on the list. Often, she's also read two by Deborah Mogok, uh, Mog 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 The Black Dress and The Carer. Um, that's Deborah Bogok who wrote The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also she's read The Lost Lives of Francis Langley by Michelle Adams. But the other one I want to mention in a bit more detail um, that she's read was a present from my mum to her, and she's read uh, Murder Before Evensong by the Reverend Richard Coles. Now, we mentioned this on the show last week because you've read it and enjoyed it, and we were saying, yes. actually, we shouldn't uh, dismiss all celebrity authors. Um, so what, I mean, she said, the, Re the Reverend Richard Coles' book, The Murder Before Evening Song, was really good fun, a good read, and not an easy one to figure out either. What did you find to it, Wendy? I, I would echo that, absolutely. I loved his writing style. Um, it's um, actually, it's what I would have expected from uh, Richard Osman. It's it's intellectual without being pompous. Um, it's clever without being too difficult to get your head around. Um, it's not, um, the, the characters are very real. It's not in your face at all. Um, and he writes with, there's a sort of real delicate humour um to to the way he writes that sort of quaint observation of village life he gets absolutely right um and i really really enjoyed it i thought it was and i will say this quite openly i thought it was head and shoulders um above the thursday murder club um and et al uh, I thought it was absolutely great. It kept me guessing right to the end. I couldn't, I didn't predict it uh, at the end. It was a real twist, um, but very realistic, so it wasn't contrived in any way. Um, and although his main character, Daniel, who is the vicar of, of the parish, is really good and well-written, my goodness me, his mother, Audrey, is just brilliant. I love her. Um, so I'm hoping that the next one that he writes will have more of Audrey in because it's just great. Superb. Well, there you have it, folks. What has Granny read? Um, six books this week. We'll be back next week with another little slot of what has Granny read and we'll catch up with uh, what else she's read. I can give a slight sneak preview into that that I think she started um, the Ellie Griffiths box set that I've... Uh, oh, right, yes. 
So whether she will do them in one go or not, I'm not sure, but she has started that. Um, okay, so back to the hunting party. Yes. Let's talk a little more um, about Dog and Heather. Mm. Because something that very early in the book, um, something that intrigued me straight away was that these two characters clearly have a past. We're very quickly given to know that they have a past, that they are escaping by coming to this remote part of Scotland. Yeah, yeah. And like a lot of things in the book, not a lot is given away very quickly. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We're given these tidbits of information and then left in suspense. What did I mean, personally, these two characters as opposed to the rest of the party, who I was like, these two I instantly warmed to. Yeah, I, I, for me, I think that you, you're you really clear that this that Doug is um, uh, quite waters run deep, definitely. You get the sense that, um, that she, Heather, has her own, um, Heather has her own history. Um, but actually, you also get that from the other characters. No, nobody is exactly who they seem in this book. And all of the characters have got some sort of secret or past or um, incident in their background, um, which sort of gives them a bit of an edge. So even Miranda, who is the glamorous one, who, you know, the glamorous, vivacious one, who seems to have it all, you know, she's got money, she comes from an aristocratic background, um, she's with the golden boy, you know, the, the, the good-looking partner, um, she's got everything it would seem. Um, even she has got secrets um, and issues going on in her life. And she's probably better at masking it than everybody else, but they're definitely there. What I love about this book, um, it once you get your head around the fact that there are lots of characters and you have to learn who they are. What I love about this book is that nobody is what they first seem to be. And for me, that's manner from heaven because that keeps you guessing and it keeps you engaged all the time because you never know what's going to happen next. And that's how I like my murder mysteries. Yes, and I think there's, there's, there is a lot of completely on your toes. What is the... the she does an awful lot of raising questions and not providing the answers as, yes. a, as a writer, yeah. um, which is a fantastic technique because it gives you that skill in the game. It gives you that, well, I need to find out. I, need, I want to know. Yes, it, yeah. It, it pulls us into that that nosiness that I think we all, you know, secretly enjoy loving finding out about other people, don't we? Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a bit of voyeurism in, in every murder mystery reader because we like to stand on the sidelines and just observe what's happening. Um, and she paints that picture really well. I will say, however, I'm looking forward to the other half of the book because, my goodness me, she's got lots of loose ends that she's got to tie up. Yeah, um, so that, she's that's creating. A worry. That's a yeah. worry for me. There's almost too many. 
I, I know exactly what you mean. The only thing that I can think of is that cleverly some of these are linked and it would sort of lead you into thinking that because, of course, this is a group of friends who share all sorts of history and relationships and, um, yeah, and uh, and even secrets. So um, you would think that some of these loose ends join up in the middle. Um, but um, I have to say, I am really looking forward to to reading the second half of this book. I think there's, um, there's a certain amount, because what she has written really well is the relationships. What we get through these snippets of, because each chapter's headed with a different character's name, isn't it? And we're given yes. all these different perspectives and points of view. And what that gives us is it really gives us that the unspoken part of the relationship, of the friendship, the bit that you haven't shared, so that we know we're let in that one character is absolutely desperate to be accepted as a proper member of the group by the rest. Yeah. And that another one who she's got really close to very much sees her as a third, third choice, you know, but she's convenient and reliable, so she'll do. Yeah. Um, and we're let into all these little secrets and behind-the-scenes thoughts and moments, these private asides that layer us with loads and loads of intrigue that the characters themselves are completely unaware of for a lot of the story. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I think that one of the things that adds to that is she writes in the present tense, first person present tense. So um, so you get this sense that you are in a room with this individual and you are just watching this stream of consciousness um, come out. And so um, because of that, what it enables her to do is describe the situation. Um, in that moment-by-moment moment detail without having to give any um, explaining history or even any context to um, to that situation. So it's just raw observation. Uh, I have to say that is a trend that you see in lots of books nowadays, that, are, that they are written in that tense and in that from that perspective. In the past, I've found it quite irritating because it is not something that um, that it's, that's not a style that I gravitate to naturally. But I have to say in this one, I'm not finding it difficult at all. I'm not finding it getting in the way of the story um, because I think she's got it just right. I, th I think the cast of characters that she's got and the story and the way she's telling the story actually does lend itself to that sort of narrative style. So um, so as I say, it's I'm still in there and, uh, and desperate to do the second half. I wonder if possibly with lucy this is a bit of a formula though that i mean i agree she does it very well but i'm not sure how many of her books i would be able to read if it's all in this same it's all the same yeah yeah i know what you mean i mean and um put, put both... in the back of this book there's a link to the next one um which is a Wedding party. Oh, right, yeah, the guest list. Yeah, it's a wedding party, and it's, it's the guest list for this wedding, and, you know, you'd, you'd 
die to be there, or you'd kill to be honest, something like that, I think is the tagline. And it's that it's that similar thing of, well, here's a group of people who've all been put together because they've all gone to a wedding, they're isolated in some way, a murder has happened. And it's, well, hold on, this is the same formula. This is the same set of ingredients that you've used here. And I don't know, for some people, they can read the same thing again and again and again, and it doesn't become tiresome to them. They enjoy that comfort almost. Whereas for me, certainly, as you know, because of my um, particular feelings about a certain author you're in love with, um, <laughs> there are a formula can become tiresome to me. Yes. No, I, and I'd agree with that, Jim. I absolutely would. I think that where you where you can get away with a formula in that way a little bit more, you've got a little bit more leeway to do that, is if you're writing a series of books. So, so if you think about the fact that, you know, one of my favourites, Colin Cottrell, wrote the uh, Dr. Siri Powerbound. Yeah. Uh, books and um and because you're using the same cast and it, you're just changing the situation and the story you can get away with a certain amount of repetition because obviously people get to know the cast and they get to love the cast and they want to see what happens next that's a world of difference between picking up a formula and and plonking it into every book almost as yeah. a skeleton and then just changing the characters and maybe the place and maybe the timing so i, I do think that there is a um there is a, a a difficulty um that authors have to overcome there um but again you know so i'm sorry to keep mentioning but but richard osman um he has used that formula with the thursday murder club um and so to a degree um, he's creating a familiarity um, with the readership. And so people will keep going back to those books because they like the familiarity of the main characters and they sort of get to feel that they know them and how they'll react and what they'll do next. So, so there's a difference between having a formula, I think, and being formulaic, if that makes sense. Yes, I, I, can, I can understand that. And I think what you've said as well, it, it very much with a returning cast, it's it, it's it's easier and yeah, works yeah, better. It is. It's absolutely. Um, and, I, I, and I know that because that's what I do in my books. Yeah. You know, I have a returning cast, and although some of those characters shift, the main core of that group is still there. Yeah. Um and I and you you do get the opportunity if you're writing like that, you get the opportunity to do a better character arcs because you can do that over two or three books um rather than have to cram it all into the first one. So you you do get opportunities if you're writing a series to sort of explore those characters a little bit more. She's got an awful lot because of the size of her cast and because of the complexity of them. She's got an awful lot to unpack and we're already halfway through the book. So it's going to be interesting to see how she manages to unpack everything and yeah. tie up those loose ends. I think the second half of this book is certainly going to be whether it makes it or breaks it for me. Yes, I'm there. So far, I'm I'm there. I'm hooked. I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to it. But like you, like we've said, 
this second half is going to be very important. Okay, well, The Hunting Party by Lucy Foley, we will be discussing again next week and be going into much more detail in the second half and be giving you our final verdict on it. But before we wrap up for today, we're going to um, bring in our final new segment, which is what's caught our eye over the past week. Because... Um, and I suppose we could call this segment the TBR segment, because Wendy and I, like all good readers, have got um, ridiculously large piles of books we haven't read, and yet still managed to buy more to add to that pile every week. Yeah. So, I mean, last week, Wendy, when we had our review of the year and we talked about what might come up in the coming year as well, Mm. Um, that in itself was a problem for me because I went away straight away and bought lessons in chemistry Uh, (laughs) um, because it's caught my eye several times and you said you had it in your TB Ray pile, so I thought, right, I'll I'll get that. Yeah. Um, What what else has caught your eye in this week, Wendy? What what new books have you... Um, Well, I, I think there's a couple, really. You'd have to be you'd have to be blind, deaf and dumb not to have come across Harry's book, uh, Spare. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting for me um, to look at the hype around this book um, and the way in which it's being pushed by the publishers, by book promoters um, and. And for me, it's um, and, and I know this is only my opinion. Um, I, I find it sad that we are in a world where that sort of sensationalism and pain will sell a book, really. Um, I, I don't think any good will come out of it. I, I really don't. And and I've made a decision absolutely not to become part of the hype of this book and not to read it um, because of all of the nonsense that's surrounding it. So um, so although it's caught my eye, I've actually undertaken to give it a, a wide berth because I, I don't like um, I, I don't like the way it is, um, the way things are panning out. Um, the ones that have caught my eye that I do like the look of um, is uh, a, an author who I absolutely love, who is Robert Thorogood, who wrote the original stories, Death in Paradise. And I'm a bit of a fan of Death in Paradise. Again, another formulaic thing. But he wrote a book back in 21 called The Marlowe Murder Club. Um, and I've not read th- this book at all, but isn't it funny how ideas sort of seed themselves? So you've got Richard Osman's book, then you've got this one. So, um, so I've I've decided to put it on my uh, to do to read pile because um, I like his writing anyway and his characterization. So I'm going to give that um, I'm going to give that a, a whirl, I think. And then the other thing that I would say, um, just as uh, an, uh, an observation, is, again, um, it's the time of year, but the number of diet books, food and drink books that you get um, in January telling you what you have to do to be a healthy girl um, or boy, uh, what you have to, you know, how to cook stuff, um, what what you're going to have for dinner, lunch, breakfast, supper, second breakfast, you know, all of that. Um, you're absolutely knee deep in this stuff. Um, and I did think it might be an idea for us 
to have a look at, at, at some of these what I would consider to be lifestyle books. Um, so the one that's caught my eye is the ultimate air fryer because I had an air fryer for Christmas um, and I'm falling in love with it. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, but by and large, the two cookery books I got with it were dreadful. So I'm, okay. on the, I'm on the lookout for a good air fryer cookbook. There are a couple on the lists in, in, the, uh, in the bookshops. So if anybody's got a recommendation, I'd love to hear it. Right. Well, that's, that's certainly, I mean, I know I've got several friends who are also in love with their air fryers. Um, and I've, I've, I've not got one. However, whenever I visit my mate Kev, I am always a big fan of using his. Um, mm. I, I'd just like to comment on spare. Um, that I, I too, like you have decided to give the book a wide berth. I don't feel there's much good to come from it. Um, and I have read a couple of different reviews about the book. Mm. Um, and there's one I want to share with you now. Um, this is where I can't find it now. But, I mean, for me, I think the book itself has... Um, it has little to offer me. That's why I've not, I don't want to read it. Mm. Um but here, uh, Vulture.com reviews Spare by Prince Harry. Um, Prince Harry's new memoir, Spare, is the literary equivalent of the tea going cold and the crumpets being a bit too set stale. Yeah. So, yeah, again, like you, it has it has garnered and massive press and it's completely sold out as far as I can see in most places. But I don't understand why myself. Mm. Um, it's not a story I wish to read but um, what has caught my eye this week and I must be a complete glutton for punishment Wendy is <laughs> I've bought a new Stephen King oh now we know Stephen doesn't write small books no he doesn't he writes doorstops yeah he, do, he does actually he, he's actually very 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 skilled at short stories um but yeah this isn't a short story at all but let, let me read the back of this book to you actually i'm not going to read the back of the book i'm going to read the inside of the dust cover legendary storyteller stephen king goes into the deepest well of his imagination in this spellbinding novel about a 17 year old boy who inherits the keys to a parallel world where good and evil are at war and the stakes could not be higher their world or ours mm. charlie reed looks like a regular high school kid great at baseball and football a decent student but he carries a heavy load his mom was killed in a hit-and-run accident when he was ten, and grief drove his dad to drink. Charlie learned how to take care of himself and his dad. Then, when Charlie's seventeen, he meets a dog named Radar and her aging master, Howard Bowditch, a recluse in a big house at the top of a big hill, with a locked shed in the backyard. Sometimes, strange sounds emerge from it. Charlie starts doing jobs for Mr. Bowditch and loses his heart to Radar. Then, when Bowditch dies, he leaves Charlie a cassette tape telling a story no one would believe. What Bowditch knows and has kept secret all his long life is that inside the shed is a portal to another world. King's storytelling in fairy tale soars. This is a magnificent and terrifying tale about another world than ours. 
in which good is pitted against overwhelming evil, and a heroic boy and his dog must lead the battle. I mean, that sounds absolutely fabulous. And you're right, you know, Jim, he is an absolute master storyteller. He, he just is. So, yeah, I, I think that might find its way onto my to-be-read pile as well. I, I just I couldn't help it, Wendy. When I saw that he got a new book out that I'd heard nothing about. Yeah. And to be honest, when I first saw the cover, I almost I the reason it first caught my eye was I thought of a complete mistake. Because Stephen Fry has made himself a bit of a reputation recently by retelling classics, hasn't he? Yes, he has, yeah. He's been retelling the classic mythologies. So when I saw Fairy Tale and this distinctive dust cover and Stephen, I instantly, my brain instantly went, oh, Stephen Fry's now started retelling fairy tales. Yeah. I thought, that'll be a good read. But then I went, oh, no, it's Stephen King. I thought, oh, Stephen King telling fairy tales. Now we know that actually the really nice and juicy thing about a fairy tale is they are quite dark and 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 actually, if you look at some of his previous books, I think that you can see that um, there there is more than a passing influence with some of his early writing yeah. from those um, darker fairy yeah. tales. Definitely. You know, you think about Carrie and yeah. you think about um it. Christine. Um, you know, that there is definitely that sort of otherworldliness um to some of his early writing. I think it could prove to be a really good uh, a really good read. Well, there we have it, ladies and gents. New segments galore. Um, a book we're both thoroughly enjoying reading, and we will be back next week to con- conclude. The Hunting Party and with our new segments and until next week ladies and gents we wish you the very very best of good reading yeah happy reading everybody this show is part of Microbrew Radio Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks.